Welcome to the Voices in Recovery podcast. Voices in Recovery is produced by Freedom's Path Recovery Society, a registered Canadian charity. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider a donation to Freedom's Path Recovery Society. All donations go directly to assisting Freedom's Path in providing their services free of charge and helps us keep the podcast going. We are grateful for any and all donations. This podcast discusses difficult topics such as childhood abuse, drug and alcohol use, sexuality and sexualized trauma, and more. If you are under the age of 18, please speak with your legal guardian prior to listening. The opinions expressed during the podcast are those of the individual and not those of Voices in Recovery or Freedom's Path or any other organization. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy this podcast. This podcast is being recorded on the traditional land of the Blackfoot Confederacy. This consists of the Kainai, Pekani, Siksika, and the Blackfeet in the U.S. We acknowledge the Stony Nakoda, which consists of the Bearspaw, Morley, and Chinooki. We acknowledge the Satina, Huradene, and the Métis, Inuit, status and non-status from all of Turtle Island, and those who are visiting. We are all treaty people. And our guest today is Chelsea. And Chelsea, please tell us about yourself. Okay, um, well my name is Chelsea. I'm 37 years old. Um, I was born in Hinton, Alberta. Um, in 1984. Ooh. I was the third of three kids. Um, and yeah, I guess it was like a pretty modest lifestyle. Um, my dad was a welder and a hobby pilot, and my mom was a nurse. And I think that they had met in high school and kind of had eyes for each other. Mm-hmm. And then my mom went away to school, came back and got together with him, and they established themselves in Hinton. Um, And then when I was about three years old, um, my dad went on a fishing trip. So he flew his plane, him and three other friends. And they were going on this fishing trip, I believe, in northern BC. Mm -hmm. And I think that one of the guys stood up in the plane and shifted the weight of the plane. Mm -hmm. And it caused it to stall. Oh, wow. Um, So I think when that happens you have to kind of like accelerate down and then try to pick Mm -hmm. yourself back up. And I don't believe that they had enough time to do that. So the plane crashed and all four of the people inside died, um, including my dad. And I was only three. So my memory of that is um, I actually remember being in my grandma's, my Baba's um, living room. Um, and we were all kind of sitting around and I was patting my mom on the back. I don't think I really knew what had happened. Um, but I was patting her on the back and just telling her it would be okay. Mm. And like for a three-year-old to remember those kinds of things, like Mm -hmm. they have to be pretty outstanding, I would say. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that, um, my, so this is kind of where things are, get a little confusing Mm -hmm. for me because... I believe that I was told that he um, went on a trip and Mm -hmm. just wasn't coming back for a long time. Like that was my understanding at the time. And um, so I assumed that he had gone, but he was going to come back sometime. So it was just confusing, I think, when I was a little kid and like a lot of chaos. a lot of emotions going around. My mom was obviously like kind of 
inconsolable, like emotionally unavailable. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's kind of in those formative years, like when I was looking for validation and, you know, like um, being understood, being loved. Mm. Um, I think I lacked that a little bit, but I also, I developed this, um, this pattern of like not wanting to disappoint anyone, mm. not wanting to disappoint my mom because I knew, like I sensed that she had so much stress in, in her life and she didn't need that extra mm -hmm. stress of, so like I became people pleaser at a very young age. Okay. Um, and I just did everything for my mom's approval. Um, and then when I was four years old, I think that my mom had kind of had enough of being in this small town after her husband had died and she was just overwhelmed by, mm. you know, memories and people. And it was just, you know, she needed a fresh start. So, um, that's quite a shock. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So she, she was a nurse and she applied for a job in Calgary. And I think the province was booming at that time mm. in the late eighties. And that's, we, she, we decided to move here in 88. Um, and then quickly after we moved, my mom got into a relationship with my stepdad um, and there was still confusion for me about like where my dad had gone. Mm -hmm. um, I remember my stepdad uh, telling me to call him dad and I just, I didn't want to, like mm -hmm. there was something inside of me that was like firmly against that. Yeah. Um, but then I just, I also felt like I had to keep my mom happy. So I felt like I, um, you know, kind of denied the feelings that were going on inside. Mm. And just, you know, I, I called my stepdad, my dad reluctantly because I wasn't ready to do that yet, you mm. know. Um, that would have been so confusing. Yeah. And in, in talking about this stuff now, it makes me really kind of anxious because... Mm. I am still fairly new in recovery and I haven't healed a lot of those, mm -hmm. um, resentments and, mm -hmm. you know, like little rifts in the relationship, mm -hmm. uh, that I have with my parents. So I'm like a little bit anxious for them to hear my mm -hmm. truth, but that's exactly what it is to me. These are, this is what, you know, through trauma and whatnot, mm -hmm. um, and conditioning, like this is how things how I remember things in yeah. my mind and that's how what I have to honor now because mm -hmm. until I can face those things um but yeah the healing doesn't begin right mm -hmm. so more will be revealed for sure oh yeah and lots has been revealed mm -hmm. um yeah so where was I my mom um, married my stepdad when I was five um and you know he was a he was a really authoritative kind of scary mm. um, disciplinarian figure in my life and I don't know that I was used to that you know like I had been with my mom and dad who like I don't remember my dad being mm. an angry person when I was little um, but then yeah we we were living with my stepdad and um, he his moods were very volatile mm. like he would go from, you know, being in a good, happy mood yeah. to being just 
angry and scary to me as a kid. And um, I remember just, you know, like feeling like I was the cause of their fights a lot of the time because I felt like um, he had, my stepdad had his own kids. And then hmm. the, I, there was always like fights about who, whose kids were treated nicer mm -hmm. or better. And um, I felt like my stepdad favored his own kids mm -hmm. and then kind of treated us um, a little rougher, you mm -hmm. know, like he, he yeah. was a little rougher on us. And, and I, I have been a very, very, very sensitive person since I was little too. So um, when I sensed his anger, um, I would... I would internalize that stuff on myself mm. and like I would take the fear and I would I would punish myself and I have a my parents still actually say this kind of to this day which I don't know I might need to have a little talk to them about this mm. but um, we didn't have to punish you you always just punished yourself mm. um, so oh, that that's just, interesting that just goes to show that like I've always been very hard on myself mm. very critical um, I've always you know, in that family dynamic, I feel like there was a lot of judgment within the family on, you know, other um, extended family members. Um, my grandma, my biological dad's mom was an alcoholic mm -hmm. and um, she would frequently call us and be like under the influence. And, you know, my parents were always judgmental of that kind of mm -hmm. behavior. And I remember one time, like, we, we had a pretty nice lifestyle, I would say. We did a lot of traveling. Uh, we camped a lot, um, traveled all over Canada in the States in, like, an RV, went to Disneyland and such. Like, I, mm -hmm. I, had, I have a lot of good memories of my childhood. Um, but there was always a lot of chaos along the way. Um, and, yeah, I just... I... Um, I can't remember what I was going to say right before that. <laughs> Man, I had a good idea in my head. Um, it's all good. It'll come back around. Yeah. So it's, it's just, uh, I think that over time, I just started to get into these patterns mm -hmm. based on living in this dynamic. Yeah. Um, one of fear of authority mm -hmm. for my stepdad um, and resentment also because I didn't, I don't think that I remember um, actually ever finding out what truly happened to, to my biological dad mm. until I was about nine. Okay. And I asked the questions because yeah. nobody was really talking about him. Mm. Um, there weren't any pictures of him around my house. Mm. Um, and I just, I felt like it was uncomfortable when we were talking about him. Yeah. So I just didn't ask ever. Um, but I think when I was nine, I asked the questions and finally found out what had happened. Yeah. And, and then, yeah, there was more confusion because like prior to that, um, I had always been kind of like fantasizing about, you know, who my dad was in mm -hmm. my head. I had made up stories yeah. of who he was. He was like a glorified hero in my head mm -hmm. and I would tell friends about him and stuff. Yeah. Um, so I was always a storyteller, you mm -hmm. know, and these are just, it's so interesting to me how these perceptions and became yeah. stories in my mind and became truths. Mm -hmm. And then, um, yeah, like I just, I denied those truths for so long and I lived in um, someone else's 
like box of what they wanted yeah. me to be in a way. So yeah, that's, that's really what happened throughout my childhood. Um, there were now five kids. So mm -hmm. my stepdad had two sons um, and there were the three of us, my brother and my sister and I. And um, there was always a lot of chaos, like mm -hmm. <laughs> five kids together and they're like a span of seven years apart. That's a um, lot of kids. Yeah, that's a lot of kids. So there was always fighting and bickering. And I also developed this habit of um, like I could get away with blaming people mm. because I didn't like to get in trouble. I feared my stepdad. Um, mm -hmm. And so I would do things on the sly. Like yeah. I would, I would cover them up or blame somebody else or, you know, plead the fifth, bat my eyelashes, do whatever <laughs> I had to do to get out of it, mm -hmm. you know? And I, I could, I, I used those, mm -hmm. um, those things for a purpose, you know, they were there to make me feel safe. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's kind of, those are kind of the habits that started happening in my, in my youth, you know, my childhood and my youth. Um, and yeah, like I mentioned before, there, there were two stepbrothers um, and one of whom he lived with us more permanently. Mm -hmm. He was the older of the two, Adam, that was his name. And then Ben lived with his mom and his mom kept him kind of for the purpose of like leveraging money out mm -hmm. of my stepdad, I guess. Okay. <clears throat> but anyhow, um, yeah, so things started happening. Adam and I would get into quite a bit of trouble together. Mm -hmm. We were like, of the five kids, I, I don't actually look like my biological siblings. I looked more, I think, like Adam. Oh, okay. With the dark features and stuff mm -hmm. like that. And That's interesting, eh? Yeah, it's really interesting. <laughs> um, and then... We started kind of hanging out um, in high school, like grade 10. He was in grade 11. Um, and like before any of this happened, so he was probably the first person I drank with, I think. Mm. Yes, he, I, he definitely was there. I was 14 years old um, and we were at my family's cabin in Sycamus, BC. And I kind of grew up on that lake or whatever. Mm -hmm. My family's always had a place out there. So, um, I love it out there. Oh, it's awesome. And yeah. that's kind of like the area that I'm moving back to soon. So I'm excited oh, right about on. that. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, we, there was a girl whose family actually owned the entire property that mm -hmm. her cabin was on there. And her grandpa had this big cabin on the property and, she let us into his cabin and there were cabinets full of liquor everywhere. Mm. <laughs> and um, I don't recall what I drank really, but we went on a walk and it was just, it was a crazy fun feeling to mm. me, you know? <clears throat> and I got away with it. Like my parents never found out and, you know, it was, it was just like an exciting time. Yeah. Um, and, but from that time, um, I have seldom been mildly intoxicated, mm -hmm. you know, like it, it was never just, oh, let's have one or two drinks. Yeah. It was to get obliterated every single mm -hmm. time. Um, so yeah. And then there was like another, another time when I was a teenager and just like embarrassingly puked all over myself. Like it just, just go to the, to the max all the mm -hmm. time, you know? And, um, I didn't 
don't really see that as a problem at the time. It was kind of, you know, my the friends that I was hanging out with were doing that too. And um, my parents also saw it as just being experimental. Mm. Um, and it might have been, you know. Yeah. Um, but then some kind of crappy things started happening to me. Mm. Um, when I was 15 years old, I was raped for my mm. first, like, sexual experience. Oh. And it was, like, when I was blackout drunk. Yeah. Um, and then when I was 16, my brother Adam committed suicide and I found him. Oh, and so like the immediate reaction to that was drinking. Mm. It was like, I'm going to my, and my parents didn't really know what to do. You know, like mm -hmm. they just, I was traumatized and I was in shock and they didn't know what to say. Like they thought that I would you know, be in good company with my friends who were going to mm. comfort me. But at that time, I wasn't really hanging out with friends who were comforting. We were there yeah. to party. Yeah. And so, yeah, I immediately, like, drank after that. Um, and after the the rape, when I was 15, um, my friends actually shamed me. Oh. Uh, they they said that it was my fault because I, I was raped by this 38-year-old man who... Um, like waited until I was blackout drunk mm -hmm. to do that to me. Um, so, and that's what I thought. And because I was so afraid of authority mm -hmm. and afraid of what my parents would think and afraid of what everyone would think because I had like judgment was, you know, ran rampant in mm -hmm. my family. Um, I just held all of that stuff in mm -hmm. um, and actually haven't even talked about it until like up to the last three years of yeah. my life. So yeah, these are the kinds of truths that I'm talking about today, but these mm -hmm. are the things that I can't hold in mm -hmm. um, because they make me sick. Yeah. So. Um, well, it's not your shame to keep, right? No, not at all. Yeah. It's just, yeah, I, I can't believe that I held it in for that mm -hmm. long, actually. It's, it's insane to me now. I'm like, holy, like if, if my child for example was mm -hmm. suffering with that that would that would be awful yeah that would be awful um and that's again you know like i'm not blaming my parents here at all mm -hmm. because they didn't know yeah because i didn't tell them yeah. and it was it was because i thought i was protecting myself and mm -hmm. i thought i was protecting them um but yeah it was it just caused a lot mm -hmm. of crap in my life that shouldn't shouldn't have happened um but, but yeah, so those things were happening in my life and I started, I, my personality was definitely changing. Mm -hmm. um, I had been like really involved in dance growing up and I dropped out of that and I started hanging out with people who were just drinking mm -hmm. and it was like rave era in Calgary. Okay. So um, <laughs> I was starting to get into like the street drugs, mm -hmm. right? There was doing a lot of ecstasy, MDMA, like mm -hmm. mushrooms, ketamine, all the stuff, cocaine. And um, my parents saw this happening. They mm -hmm. quickly saw my personality changing because I had been like a pretty studious, you know, mm -hmm. good student. Um, and then my grades, yeah, I just, I dropped out of high school after my brother died mm -hmm. and I just, I couldn't face life anymore. Um, I was incredibly anxious. Like I felt like I wanted to jump out a window kind of mm -hmm. thing. I was having panic attacks and flashbacks and it was, it was really awful. Um, and I recall like I was going to grief counseling, but I don't, 
I don't know that it was necessarily age appropriate mm -hmm. because I was 16 when this happened. Um, and they were like having me color pictures and stuff hmm. like that. I just, I didn't, I didn't put it together what they were trying to yeah. do with me. It didn't was, connect to you at all. Yeah. I was yeah. too dissociated and mm -hmm. too, um, like in pain to really yeah. acknowledge what they were trying to work on me with. Um, but instead I turned to the drugs, like I said, and the drinking mm -hmm. and, um, my parents saw that it was becoming a really big problem mm -hmm. for me. Um, and so they put me into a private school to finish high school yeah. after I dro uh, dropped out. And then they um, put me into a treatment center in the Foothills Hospital. Mm. It was called the Young Adult Program. Okay. Um, and I went in there when I was 17, I think. And I was in there for seven weeks and it was a bunch of, it was like varied um, mental health okay. issues going yeah. on in there. Um, so I definitely had the depression, anxiety, mm. PTSD. Um, and for sure. yeah, like I was also a teenager. So mm -hmm. very, you know, uh, defiant <laughs> <laughs> and like um, I've never met a defiant teenager yet so <laughs> yeah like just I disobedient mm -hmm. I didn't want to listen to anybody and I don't know I guess while I was there I kicked the drug drug habit kind mm -hmm. of um my parents I guess they saw drugs as because they were illegal yeah um then they're not allowed but alcohol wasn't a problem so I stopped doing drugs. I seemed to be doing a little bit mm -hmm. better. I graduated from high school. Um, and I was still drinking. Yeah. But I met a boyfriend um, who, like, I, at this point, I was fed up of my parents. I couldn't handle their, you know, they were trying to control me. And mm -hmm. um, I just couldn't handle like the dy dynamic that I was having with my stepdad was mm -hmm. pretty terrible. And then I think my mom just, she felt guilty for everything that was happening to me. And so we were developing like a pretty codependent relationship mm -hmm. by this time. And, um, yeah, so I, I used that a lot to manipulate my mom, I guess that yeah. codependency and, and making her know that, or making her feel like she, um, the way she treated me had an effect, mm -hmm. could improve my health, you know, uh, yeah. like if, yeah. she, if she coddled me a little bit more. Yeah. If she was nicer. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So I was sick of my parents rules mm. and I moved out with this boyfriend and he was very controlling mm. and very abusive, like emotionally and, and mentally abusive. Um, I don't think he ever hit me, but he did some really strange things. Like he would restrict my diet. So mm -hmm. we were only allowed to eat rice, um, because he wanted us to like lose weight and look mm -hmm. good. Um, and yeah, I, I wound up getting pregnant mm -hmm. with him. Um, and I never told anybody, but he made me get an abortion like, or I can't say he made me at the time. That's what it felt like. Yeah. Um, he talked you into it kind of thing. Yeah. Or? Like I was, I'm actually like, I don't know. I was not in the kind of place to be taking care of a child. Yeah. 
Um, I can full on admit that, but it it still was another thing that I held in for a really long mm -hmm. time and and treated like it didn't affect me. Yeah. But it it is something that mm -hmm. did affect me truly. Um, I can't imagine it not to be honest. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I can't yeah. believe like I just dismissed it when I was that age. Um, yeah. And now that I think about it, it's like wow, it's profound. Like mm -hmm. what it what it does. Um, so yeah, I was with him for a while, um, and he he was really abusive. And I think that my friends and family started to notice, and they saw me like further withdraw, and mm -hmm. I was like isolating from them. And so they kind of, in a way, I think my stepdad like strong armed him out of my life mm -hmm. <laughs> somehow. Um, but he continued to to stalk me a little bit after after the fact, which was a bit scary. Um, I bet. But yeah, after that I met, um, I went to Fernie and I met this this guy while I was there. Um, and he was living in Lethbridge mm. and he was like really charismatic, older than me, you know, just fun, fun loving, really cool guy. And um, I fell in love with him, you know, I fell like head over heels for mm -hmm. him. And he was a totally different guy than my first really significant boyfriend. And he, um, he listened to all of the things that I had to talk about. And at that time I was still really closed off, mm -hmm. but what I did share with him, he listened to it and he was really compassionate and, um, you know, caring and stuff. And we, I, I truly thought I was going to marry him. Mm -hmm. Like we were together for three years or three and a half years. I moved down to Lethbridge to be with him and I started going to university there. Um, and yeah. And then he was in international business and he, um, had to take, um, his courses in a Spanish speaking country. Mm -hmm. So he chose Spain and he went down there we were living together and he was going to go down there for one semester his last semester and then come back um and i had planned a trip to go down there with his mom and everything and he um three days before i left it was a month-long trip three days before i left i made contact with him and he told me not to come because he had fallen in love with someone else oh no <laughs> Here I am, I was like 21, 22 years old, just mm -hmm. like heartbroken, no right? Doubt. Shattered, completely shattered. Um, and, but, you know, like I had, I had picked up some pretty bad, bad habits in that mm -hmm. relationship too. I can see now after looking at my inventory and everything mm -hmm. that I um, definitely have some sick things going on when it comes to relationships mm -hmm. and that has a lot to do with you know my trauma and you know mm -hmm. my upbringing and all like the result of all of it but um yeah he he taught me to be make excuses mm -hmm. um I remember going like he was going to university classes I was too and he would we'd go we would always be in the pub for one thing mm -hmm. we'd always be drinking and um we'd stay up too late or party too late one night and then the next morning we'd both miss like an exam or something mm -hmm. and he showed me how easy it was to just go like get a doctor's note and get your way out of it mm -hmm. you know so I felt like in university that's what I was doing I was mostly mm -hmm. like 
just barely getting by um, and making excuses and getting all sorts of doctor's notes and mm-hmm. yeah it was pretty pretty um it was i was like a van wilder in <laughs> university <laughs> i was um always always at the pub mm-hmm. and i could afford to i couldn't afford to pay my rent or my groceries but i could afford to be out yeah. every single night um yeah, so after things ended with him, I kind of went on a real tear yeah. after that. I was 22 years old. Um, I had just traveled to Spain with his mom. I still went, even yeah. though even though he broke my heart. And I went down there, and we had we had our trip, and I came back, and I just I was so hurt by yeah. what had happened that I just went into oblivion again, mm-hmm. like. Um, I was still going to university, but I was barely making it making it through any of my classes. I had to withdraw so many times. Mm. Um, I had to retake so many courses. And my friends who had been in university were done by then. Mm. You know, I was still the last one in there, and I wasn't finished yet. And it was taking <laughs> me forever. And they, we used to do a lot of like fun um, snowboard trips and stuff. Mm. My friends and I and. I remember there being a time where we had partied literally, I think, for three or four days straight, Mm -hmm. just nonstop drinking and just passing out and waking up and drinking more. And my friends on the third day were all like, oh, man, I can't handle it anymore. Mm -hmm. And I was still ready to go. And that's when I knew that I was different. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That was like that turning point. Where I'm like, okay, I'm a little bit different than these people. Mm-hmm. And I think I carried on and did something stupid there too. Like yeah. I did something at the party and my friends were all, they knew at that point too, that something was different with yeah. me. Um, but, you know, prior to that, my drinking had really been, it was fun. Like it was, I was queen of like debauchery and mm-hmm. I was make, I was the clown, you know, I was making all of my friends laugh and. Um, I thought that that's, that's what my role in my friendships mm. was, was to make people laugh and bring joy. But really, I think that they weren't laughing with me. <laughs> they were more so laughing at me after, after a time. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, during, so after um, I had broken up with the person who cheated on me, um, I was getting into all sorts of terrible Mm. relationships so people who were drug addicts and alcoholics and but it's because I was hanging out at the bar all the time um so those were my people Mm -hmm. at the time and there was a lot of drama and there was a lot of just chaos wait drama and chaos with us bar folk that's weird (laughs) so we're so calm yeah um in 2009 um I met Derek, and he's the father of my kids. Mm-hmm. And we How met. How many kids do you have? We have two kids. Two kids? Okay. Yeah. So we met in 2009 in Calgary, and he was very different than anyone I had ever dated. Like, he was not a drug addict. I think he had done some drugs in his past, but, mm-hmm. you know, he was done with them. And he was kind of just a really routine oriented, just very you know, straight edge, mm-hmm. kind of, you know, I don't know. I don't like to say boring, <laughs> but 
but like just not a lot you know not a lot of drama in it not life. surrounded by chaos all yeah the time. and yeah. so i i was attracted to that because i thought at this point i was 25 years old mm -hmm. and i thought that i needed someone to settle me down Mm -hmm. um, because I had already identified that I was the weird one out of my friends and yeah. that I couldn't handle drinking like everyone else. Um, and then I met him and I just, I kind of thought that he could save me mm -hmm. in a way. And um, it was also due to like influence from my parents of, you know, you have to meet a guy like this and you mm -hmm. have to do it like, the, you know, you have to do things in this order. Yeah. Um, and I never felt like I did things in that order and I didn't understand mm -hmm. why I couldn't be what they wanted me to be. Yeah. I just was always different, right? Um, but yeah, I met Derek and then after a year and a half of dating, I think I got pregnant. It was, I, I can't remember when I found out, but I think it was March or something like that um, in 2011. Um, and you know, we, we were kind of settled down at mm -hmm. that point. I was controlling my drinking. I was, we were probably only going to the pub like once a week. Yep. Um, and most of the time just like domesticated, you know, cooking dinners and watching homes on homes <laughs> and going to like the <laughs> hardware store. Mm -hmm. Um, he's a carpenter. Okay. So, um, yeah, it was pretty, pretty, um, non uneventful at the time. Mm -hmm. And then I found out I got pregnant and I was like, you know, I was the first of my friends, but you know, maybe this is my thing. Maybe mm -hmm. this will settle me down. And so I didn't drink, you know, it was good. Yep. And I, I took, I was actually feeling really good. I was focused mm -hmm. and I felt like I was doing a better job at work and, you know, I was able to show up to things on time and, and yeah, things were going really well for me. And then um, I went on a trip with my mom to White, Whitefish, Montana. Mm. It was for Thanksgiving, I believe. And I was set six and a half months, seven months pregnant at the time. Okay. And I went down there. I had no complications. Everything was smooth sailing in my pregnancy. Um, and then I went down to the States and I came back and I got this like raging headache and I, I don't get headaches very often. Mm -hmm. So when I get one, it's like, what's going on? So, um, I called my mom who, uh, she had worked on labor and delivery before she's a nurse. Yeah. And I said, I've got this headache. And she said, well, take your blood pressure. So I took my blood pressure and it was like stroke level. Oh, so, um, I think she came over and picked me up and brought me to the hospital and they admitted me like right away. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, I had, I guess, pregnancy induced hypertension. Mm. Um, but it had caused a, a growth issue with my baby. So she had this intrauterine growth restriction and her size beca because there was so much pressure from my blood pressure. And I think that part of my placenta had abrupted. Mm -hmm. Um, she was not growing at all. She was like tiny, tiny, tiny kid. Yeah. So I was supposed, they were going to deliver that day, which was terrifying to me. It was just mm -hmm. like, oh my God, like I thought everything was good. And then all of a sudden this is happening. And it was happening when I was only 30, 30 weeks pregnant. Mm -hmm. um, so I was terrified. Um, but 
it was kind of too late in the game to give me um, antihypertensives mm -hmm. because I don't know, it would shift the dynamic too much and then kind of yeah. throw things off. So okay. I was put on strict bed rest. They decided not to deliver. When I say they, it's the doctors. They decided yeah. not to deliver me right then, um, but put me on strict bed rest and monitor growth. So I was in the hospital, I think for about five days and then they would send me home and I would have to go for an appointment every every day or two appointments a day kind of thing. And every time I would go, get up and go to my appointments, my blood pressure would go up. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> then they would send me back to the hospital. And yeah, it was just, it was like that for two weeks. Wow. Um, and I had, at that time, had this terrible obstetrician who he just had no bedside manner whatsoever. Mm -hmm. He'd just like lay down, feel my stomach, take my blood pressure and scribble a few things and then close the door. Like he was just gone. So yeah. I felt like very unsupported. I didn't know what was going on. And, um, if I was going to be okay, if mm -hmm. my baby was going to be okay. And so I, I, I wound up, um, finally the doctor decided that I just deliver her early. Mm. So I was 32 weeks pregnant um and I delivered my baby but it was not just a conventional you know um delivery it actually turned into quite a nightmare mm -hmm. um the night before when I was being induced um Derek and my mom were in the hospital and because I was so early in my gestation um the thought was that my labor wasn't going to start very easily mm -hmm. so Derek and my mom were sent home and, I, and were told to return the following morning or wait to hear what's going on the mm. following morning. But what ended up happening was the doctors and nurses came in and brought me up to go get ready at 4 a.m. And something went sideways when they were rupturing my membranes. Mm. Um, and I was like gassed out. I was starting having a panic attack mm. and gassed out and like raced down the hallway, sent into emergency surgery, um, and no one was notified. So no one mm. called my mom or Derek. Um, I didn't even know myself if my baby had survived. Um, and I phoned Derek and my mom in like anesthetic hangover yeah. to say, I think I had a baby. I don't know if it's alive. Yeah. Which I don't wow. know. It's just it's crazy how that, that even happened. That is crazy. And how it happened in like the Foothills Medical Center, you yeah. know, where it, which is supposed to be the higher end or like mm -hmm. better care facility. Anyhow, I kind of think I fell through a lot of um, cracks there. Mm -hmm. Like I was missed. Sure on a sounds lot of like things. it. Yeah. Um, needless to say, I delivered a healthy baby, but she was only two and a half pounds, mm -hmm. um, and. She had to stay in the foothills for a week and then she got transferred over to the Rocky View for eight weeks, I think. Mm -hmm. And I had to spend my entire days in that hospital room with her. So I was getting up and being in the hospital by 7 a.m. and I would leave there at midnight mm -hmm. every day. Um, and it was, it was traumatizing in itself no doubt. because I'm just sitting there staring at this tiny little baby in a box mm -hmm. with all the wires coming out. Then there's alarms going off mm -hmm. and, you know, flashing lights and 
just sitting there literally pumping milk all day because I'm like, I'm being told that, oh, because your baby's preemie, mm -hmm. you know, there was more fear in, involved because she was so little. And she's so tiny, eh? Yeah. yeah. Um, and this is when my drinking resumed mm. um, because I just felt so completely overwhelmed. Um, Derek didn't quit working at the time. So it was just me in there. It wasn't COVID or anything, but mm -hmm. like it was just me. Um, I didn't tell my mom that I needed support, mm -hmm. but I just expected her to, to know, to know yeah. <laughs> that I should, that I needed her. Um, but I didn't ask for those things mm -hmm. at the time. I just wanted to look like I could handle everything and that I was doing really well. You know, mm -hmm. this was when Facebook was in its prime of like, mm -hmm. oh, let's show what happiness looks like, you know, in pictures. Yeah. And that's, that's what I was doing. I was wearing that, that mask mm -hmm. and showing how happy and excited I was, but yeah. I was, I was, you know, I was being destroyed inside. Mm -hmm. Um, so I can't imagine how scared you were. Oh yeah, it was it was just an awful time and yeah. I, I literally started drinking and I started drinking by myself mm -hmm. um, to go to sleep at night because yeah. I thought that's what it was doing. I thought that's what it was bringing me that that ease and comfort yeah. and that peace and that's what I needed at the time or so I thought. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't really realize though that I was suffering from postpartum depression mm -hmm. and also post-traumatic stress again from mm -hmm. the whole incident of being gassed out and then you know the trauma of being around all the monitors and being completely isolated it was it was the middle of winter mm -hmm. in Calgary so it was like minus 40 when I was bringing her home yeah um, and then I was pumping milk and I didn't leave my house you know like it was just I felt so completely alone then mm -hmm. um, and Derek, my, my kid's dad, he found a bottle. I, I was hiding my liquor mm -hmm. then. And he found a bottle in my things. And he, he brought it to me and he was like, what is this? And I broke down and I said, you know, I've been suffering. I, I've got, I think I've got like post-traumatic stress and I'm having like flashbacks. And I got really vulnerable with him. And then he said, snap out of it. Mm. And that's kind of, um, you know, he brought his own trauma into mm -hmm. our relationship too. Yeah. Um, so he, his mom has mental health issues mm -hmm. also. And I think that he kind of grew up in that dynamic where he felt like he was, he had to rescue her from herself, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and then his dad is a closet alcoholic also. So it was almost like we were just completely attracted to each other for mm -hmm. that reason, because yeah. I was, I was exactly what, what he was attracting in his mm -hmm. life through his trauma. And, um, yeah, so I, I remember him saying that to me and I didn't know what else to do, but I knew that I needed to talk to somebody mm -hmm. about it. So I went through his EFAP and I, um, got, to talking to a therapist um, and when she found out that I had a, a newborn baby at home and that I was drinking this way um, she kind of threatened me that she was going to contact authorities mm -hmm. so I was terrified by that and I ran away quick and never went back to her again mm 
Um, and then soon after, we were moving to Revelstoke. So when I met um, Derek, we were both really into snowboarding. And I had gone to Revelstoke before, and he had gone, and we both said, like, I want to live there. Mm -hmm. And I had said that even before I met him. It's a really beautiful place. And um, so while I was on my maternity leave, uh, we decided to make a go for it. Mm -hmm. um, he had a friend who had a company out there, which he's still working for. And um, I was on maternity leave. I was working for a mechanical engineering company, and I didn't really care if I took that job mm. back or not. But when it came time to return to work, I did get that job back, and they let me work remote. So we were in this new town, and I didn't know anyone. Mm -hmm. And I thought I was running away from my disease. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I had left it in Calgary. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I was further isolated. I yeah. was on, like, I didn't know anybody. And at this point I was scared to tell anybody mm. what was going on with me because of the threat of, you know, my child being taken away from me and um, just the judgment in my own family mm. and from my partner. And yeah. so I was holding all of this stuff in um, and kind of getting by, you know, like we looked like this new fresh couple in town you know mm -hmm. with this baby and you know we looked like we were doing well and um you know that's what it was but on the inside there was something different going on mm -hmm. you know by this time there was the whole dynamic of the cycle the neg the cycle of the addiction so mm -hmm. i was i would go on a spree and then derek would find out and then there was punishment then there was the guilt shame remorse then mm -hmm. the you know it was just this cycle going on and on and on and on yeah um so i thought my solution should be that i get a job in mm -hmm. town with people so that i'm not isolated in my house you know working from home remote um, so I got a job with the city of Revelstoke, just mm -hmm. doing a casual position. And then I eventually got a job with Parks Canada, which is like, I don't even know how these things came upon because I was kind of a mess at this point. Um, but I still, I guess I, I can speak well enough about myself that I, I got the job and, you know, I thought this was going to be my solution mm -hmm. now is that, yeah, I've got this good job in town. Um, I've got connections with everyone. Uh, this is going to be really good. Mm -hmm. But I was really sick too. Um, so things were carrying on in that negative cycle. I guess I was I was stopping drinking for maybe up to three weeks at a time. Yeah. Um, and then I would I would go through it again and again and again, over and over. Not too bad of things were happening mm -hmm. yet. You know, like I hadn't been caught driving like that. Yeah. Um, I hadn't, I hadn't lost my job or anything like that. Um, and then I got pregnant again mm. and I was pretty sick at the time. And, um, yeah, it was just, I thought that this could stop me. Mm -hmm. Um, it wasn't a planned one again, but it, it was like, okay, maybe this is God saying, and I don't, I didn't, I didn't see it as God at the time, but mm -hmm. now I can see it as yeah. God. Um, maybe this will stop you. Mm -hmm. um, it didn't though, I have to say, and that's one of the things that makes me feel the worst about mm -hmm. myself is that um, I drank a few times 
when I was pregnant with my second. Mm. And it's not anything I'm proud of, but all mm. I can say is um, I think I was too sick at the time and I was powerless. Mm -hmm. um, that just shows how powerless I was. Yeah. Um, anyhow, Shay came out and she was perfect and, you know, she came out roaring and she brought us a lot of joy. And, you know, I was getting better at, at longer periods of time between mm -hmm. drinking and I was trying to stay more focused, but at this time we had also purchased our, our first home mm. together and Derek being a carpenter wanted to do a lot of work on it. Um, and so I was now back at work full time after having Shay mm -hmm. and he was working full time. Um, and then he was working on the house from, you know, from the time he got home from work until after yeah. it was dark every single day. And I just felt like I was doing everything. Like I was taking the kids to their school and daycare and I was um, making dinners, cleaning up, um, putting them to bed, like just doing, being the parent of all three of them and our dog. And I was burnt out and, and I started, I was drinking terribly. Like I was driving, I was drinking every single day. I had to drink when I was waking up because I was so shaky. Um, I was going to work, I was going in late every day or missing wow. a lot of work. Um, I was passing out on my desk. Uh, at this time, I had a DUI in, wow. at some point in there. Um, and I had a blow box in my car and I was so embarrassed. Mm -hmm. I would lean down and hide when I had to start yeah. my car. And there were often times where I had drank too much the night before and my car wouldn't even start. Mm -hmm. And then I had to try to explain to my kids why I couldn't start my car. And I was lying to them. And, you know, um, so Isla, there's, I have two daughters. Isla's nine now and Shay is five. Mm -hmm. And all of this stuff, it was just really terrible after Shay was born. Mm -hmm. So... It started getting really bad um, and then in 2017 it was yeah our cycles were really terrible in the house and I knew Isla was being impacted she was like six at the time six or seven and Shay was two and Derek and I had gotten into a really terrible fight I was drunk and I just I was fed up and I knew that I needed to do something for mm -hmm. myself so I started looking at treatment facilities um, and I found one that was in Salmon Arm because that was my biggest fear at the time mm -hmm. was being taken away from my kids, going away from them for that amount of time. Yeah. And I found this one in Salmon Arm and I called and the lady was actually from Revelstoke and she was a mom when she got sober mm -hmm. and she inspired me and I just was like, you know, I want to do this, but I didn't have the money to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, so I called up my parents and I said, I think I need to go to treatment. Like I need help. Mm -hmm. And my mom, of course, you know, her codependent self <laughs> steps right in and, you know, it's always one to bail me out. Mm -hmm. That that's kind of how my life happened too. Um, well, you got to know parents are going to try everything they can. Oh yeah. To yeah. save their kids' lives. Totally. And yeah. I get it now. Right. Yeah. Cause I, I definitely, I'm in that same same school of thought. Um, but 
Yeah, so I went to this treatment facility, but I was not ready mm-hmm. yet. I hadn't, I hadn't come to that level of acceptance. I didn't get step one. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually brought um, Snaka 26 into the treatment facility mm-hmm. while I was there. It was a visiting day, mm-hmm. and we were allowed to go out into town. And I, um, Derek had gone somewhere else and like left me to my own devices for a few minutes. Mm-hmm. And there was a liquor store there, and I went and I snuck it in. Oh, it's just it's crazy how how sneaky I could be. Mm-hmm. And that was almost part of my obsession too. Mm-hmm. Was the planning and the sneaking and the yeah. hoarding and the hiding. Yeah. Um, it becomes a part of the game, right? Totally. Yeah. And like the rush involved with mm-hmm. doing it and getting away with it. So, um, I, yeah, I snuck a bottle in there. I think I even drank rubbing alcohol in mm-hmm. there, um, which was left out one day. I was just so sick, yeah. like just, I didn't even want to exist really at the time. Mm-hmm. Like I was, I I know what suicide does to a family, mm-hmm. so I was trying not to go there, yeah. but I was just killing myself slowly yeah. is what I was doing. Um, so yeah, then I came out of that treatment facility in two, summer of 2017, and it still wasn't going good, and mm-hmm. my family could see now. Um, my parents kind of, I think that they turned a blind eye to it a lot of the yeah. time, and just pretended it wasn't there. Um, and then Derek wasn't telling, he wasn't calling them or doing mm-hmm. anything. He wasn't telling anyone. It becomes a family sickness. <laughs> yeah. Um, Everybody gets locked down by the secrets, right? Yeah. So um, at this point they knew. And my mom, she, like I said, is a, she's a retired registered nurse, but she was working in disability management mm-hmm. at Suncor at the time. She's an occupational health nurse. And... Um, so she, their people, when they are sick with addiction, they mm-hmm. send them to this treatment center in Nanaimo. It's called mm-hmm. Edgewood. Edgewood, yeah. So my mom just, you know, just was like, okay, I know what she needs. She needs Edgewood mm-hmm. now. So she sent me there. But again, I don't think I was ready mm-hmm. to, to acknowledge it. Um, and the fact that they were sending me there, it was kind of like, oh, I'm just under their thumb and I'm mm-hmm. doing it for them and I'm not doing it for me. And yeah. Yeah. But while I was in Edgewood, so I went to Edgewood um, beginning of 2018. And while I was there, um, I became a lot more Mm self-aware. It was a really good place to get me to see some of these things that I just thought weren't really big deals. Yeah. Um, Because I remember sitting around in like our group chat or whatever, and the counselor somebody was talking about how their dad or they missed their dad. Mm. And I said, Oh, I wish I knew my dad. Mm. And then the counselor dug into that and said, why, what's going on here? Like what Mm. happened? And so we dug into some of these stories, you know, and, um, I see now like how they have impacted Mm. me. Um, how, how me internalizing all of these traumas and taking the, taking everything as my own Mm -hmm. and making like being so heavily like so reliant on what other people think of me Mm -hmm. in order to feel okay with myself yeah like that's just how i've come to these truths you know about Mm -hmm. i've just i've had to be beaten 
and over and over and over again to see these things. Mm -hmm. And even so, like in 2018, after I left treatment, after I left Edgewood and wasn't successful there again, Mm -hmm. I knew while I was in there, I came to a truth that I couldn't be with Derek anymore. Mm -hmm. He wasn't right for me. And like, because he wasn't doing any of the internal work himself, we were never going to work Mm -hmm. because yeah, the dynamic was just not good. It was really toxic then. Um, Well, and if only one person does the work, it doesn't get much better for both. Yeah. And the situation was bad for our kids. Like Mm -hmm. it was becoming, I was drinking out of spite for him Mm -hmm. and putting, you know, putting my kids through a lot of trauma themselves. And I had, I just, I knew I had to leave Revelstoke or I was going to die. Mm -hmm. Um, The level of support there was nothing like what it is here. Mm -hmm. There was a drug and alcohol counselor who discouraged me from seeking 12-step help. Mm -hmm. Um, She thought that I didn't need that, that I needed more trauma therapy. And and maybe I do, you know. For sure. You might need that as well. Um, But I did hold a bit of a resentment against her Mm -hmm. because I felt like she denied me a a very viable chance Mm -hmm. at getting well sooner. Um, but yeah, that's just how it worked for me. Um, and then I came here in November, 2018. I came back to Alberta with my parents. Mm -hmm. I had burned all my bridges in Revelstoke. My, my relationship was over. I had to leave my kids because I was much too sick to Mm -hmm. look after them. Um, I got kicked out of like several places for being too intoxicated. Like Mm -hmm. no one wanted to even keep me in their house. Um, and so I came back to Alberta and my parents let me stay at their place in Okotoks for a while with Mm -hmm. them, but then they were going, they're snowbirds, they're retired now. Mm -hmm. And so they were going to go to Arizona and they left me in their house (laughs) (laughs) while I was very, very ill, Mm -hmm. um, hoping that I had a sponsor at this time. Mm -hmm. I had been introduced to AA by this time but hoping that my sponsor would babysit me mm-hmm. um, and make sure that I wasn't ruining things there. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not what sponsors are for. <laughs> um, so I did, you know, I was, I was working in Calgary and I didn't have a driver's license anymore. Mm-hmm. And I missed the bus to go to my job because I was drinking and didn't, couldn't get up in time in the morning. And my dad's truck was there. My stepdad's truck was there and I didn't have my license. I was still drunk from the Mm -hmm. night before. Um, I had just started this job. It was my third day and I took my dad's truck and I just was like, you know, it's there. I'm not, it's not going to be, it's going to be fine. Mm -hmm. But I was going 118 in a 70 zone. So I got pulled over and yeah. Wait, they stopped you? Yeah. That's barely speeding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this is where it, it got pretty bad, right? Yeah. So then I'm like in jail. Then yeah. um, the car, the truck's impounded. Like my parents are told in mm-hmm. the States. Um, I just thought my life was over. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I called up my best friend and I was actually working for her. That's who had hired me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I said, come, can you come get me? And she, she was mad. She said, no, 
mm-hmm. and she left me there for the day. You know, she let me let me lay on the cold ground of the jail cell. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she picked me up and she said, um, you're coming to my house. We're going to pack your bags. Um, you're coming to my house and you're going to detox in the morning. Mm-hmm. And if you don't go, then you can never stay here again. So I just, I didn't know what else to do at the time. I had that, that gift of desperation, right? Where I just knew I needed to do something different. Mm -hmm. So I went to Renfrew, um, and then I stayed in Renfrew an extended amount of time so that I could just get straight into a treatment center. Mm -hmm. And I went down to Nanton for the 18 days. I think it's Lander's treatment center. Mm, Um, and I came out and I had 30 days. And I came into my first AA meeting in Calgary Mm -hmm. and it was daily reflections and yeah, it was just, you know, a really good energy in there. Mm -hmm. A lot of people sitting around and I, I just felt like I was, I was in a community that had people who were like me, Mm -hmm. like there were women in there when I was going to AA in Revelstoke, it was mostly like 80 year old men kind of thing. Um, yeah, like younger people in there, people with kids. Mm -hmm. And I just felt like I found my community, right? Um, And I was living, I moved into a dream center home and I was living in community housing. And then um, I moved out last March into independent living. So I've been living, um, you know, not in a sober facility mm-hmm. um since last march um i kind of was trying to date the entire time mm-hmm. <laughs> that i was trying to get sober <laughs> yeah. while in calgary which was unsuccessful like i was it can be tricky yeah oh gosh <laughs> i didn't i didn't see the connection mm-hmm. at all yeah. and now i do for most sure. of us didn't though to be honest so yeah i I got into a relationship at the beginning of the pandemic and mm-hmm. it was more so like a lockdown buddy or whatever I yeah. think. And, um, but we were doing a lot of fun things together, like adventuring a lot. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just, I felt like I just, I get so absorbed in relationships mm-hmm. so fast. Right. And I lose myself mm-hmm. and that comes from my people pleasing. Yeah. Um, I have this tattoo of my, chameleon here which shows like I just I'm I totally take on the energy of everyone Mm. around me and um this is kind of just symbolic of me being able to choose my own colors Mm -hmm. now but yeah I got wrapped up in that relationship and it's funny because he actually has ties to the guy that cheated on me back when I was in my Mm. early 20s oh wow but he cheated on me too and this was last summer jeez and I kind of flew off the rails then mm-hmm. I, again. Like I just, my emotional sobriety was terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if it necessarily had to, I could have had to do with the fact also that I wasn't going to any any meetings. Mm-hmm. I wasn't going to the Zoom ones or the in-person ones. Yeah. Um, I was totally isolated again and like back in my negative patterns mm-hmm. of thinking and yeah, just, you know, feeling sorry for myself. Mm-hmm. I have a big thing with self-pity, you know, feel yeah. sorry for me. This bad things have happened to me. Um, but I'm not unique in that. A lot of bad things mm-hmm. happen to people. That's just life. Especially where we hang out. Yeah. So it's just 
more so like um I felt like I lost myself again Mm. so um at the end of August I committed to myself like that's kind of where the the point where I grew tired of my Mm. own bs like I just didn't want to live like that anymore and I wanted to try something entirely different than what I had Mm. tried before because although I was progressively getting more honest and talking about more things that were affecting Mm me um I was also still like trying to I was still I was still trying to live by someone else's definition of what they want or Mm -hmm. what someone else wanted for me and I was denying my myself my inherent self right Mm -hmm. um and I got sick of that (laughs) and I just said like this is for me now Mm -hmm. and that's kind of what made the difference so I went back to daily reflections and I and I, there was a woman in there who inspired me from day one, mm-hmm. you know, like her message just really hit, hit home with me from day one. And she was there and I asked her if she would be my sponsor. And mm-hmm. she said, no, but I know someone who will be. Mm-hmm. And so I got a new sponsor and I started working with her and she's, you know, we've got so many of the same patterns. Mm-hmm. We've got so many of the same elements of conditioning growing up Mm -hmm. and um patterns of drinking like just the way we drink um and especially in the end you know just like just passing out get waking Mm -hmm. up and that's no kind of a life right like i there's just so much more to me that Mm -hmm. um it was it's a shame that i allowed it to get to that point but that's just what it took for me um And so, yeah, I just became sick of it and I started working the steps again and um, getting really honest with myself Mm -hmm. and digging deep into the things that I've repressed for so long. And um, I just wrapped up my step 12. I know that steps are never ending. And and for me, um, this is a conscious effort every day. Mm -hmm. It's day by day. It's moment by moment. It's got to be. What's that? It's got to be. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's got to be. It's it's totally got to be. And yeah, it's really like a miracle, actually, the things that are starting to happen mm-hmm. in my life. Um, this season, I don't know if you saw, saw my post on social media, but like this season, for some reason, is a really sh- big shift. It has mm-hmm. big shifts for me if I'm looking back. So three years ago, I was leaving Derek mm-hmm. and my kids. I stayed in Revelstoke a while, but mm-hmm. then um, I eventually had to leave that province yeah. and only get to see them, you know, for short spurts here and there. Yeah. Um, and then in 2019, I was coming to Calgary and going to my first meetings at Daily Reflections. Mm-hmm. And then last year, um, I was moving out into independent living. Mm-hmm. And then this year I've been offered a job now in Vernon. So I've been working, I've been working for uh, chorus entertainment. It's global, global news. Okay. Um, in accounting. Um, and it's just a temporary position. So the girls on maternity leave, mm-hmm. um, and th- it was supposed to be finished at the end of June. So I had started looking for jobs and I told my boss I was doing it because I needed to make plans. Mm-hmm. Um, but I always knew that I wanted to return back to BC to be with my girls. Um, not necessarily to Revelstoke, but to somewhere much closer that Mm -hmm. we can make co-parenting 
much easier. Um, and so I started looking for jobs and I applied for this job in Vernon and I thought it was a really long shot. Like mm -hmm. I didn't think I was qualified. Um, it's a government agency. Um, and I also was a little bit scared that they were going to call my references and I don't have such a great history in, in the recent past of, <laughs> of working history. Right. So, um, yeah, somehow everything aligned and, and I got that job. Mm, cool. And um, yeah, I'm moving in two weeks from today. Are you? Yeah. Right on. And moving I'm, to Vernon. Yep. Nice. So um, my aunt actually who raised me mm -hmm. um, after my dad died. So it was his youngest sister came yeah. to Calgary with us and she was my nanny growing up. Oh, okay. So my mom was a full-time nurse. She had to do mm -hmm. shift work and she needed my my aunt to come so that we had a nanny and she lives there and oh, cool. so yeah we've got a really tight relationship actually because we when i lived in revelstoke before it's only an hour and a half away yeah um we visited quite a bit we do like canning together mm -hmm. and you know she's i love that part of bc man. Oh, that yeah. whole area there yeah she lives right across from davison orchards so oh, okay so yeah, we'd get tomatoes and canned tomatoes and peppers and, mm -hmm. and all the stuff. And she, she makes it feel like home to me. Yeah. Um, so I'm excited. I get to go back there and be with her. And I still, I have friends, um, lots of friends in the salmon arm recovery community mm -hmm. and a couple friends who are in recovery in Vernon as well. Yeah. So oh, cool. with long-term sobriety. Yeah. So I, I'm not afraid, like this is mm -hmm. how I know that it's the right thing for me because everything is lining up so that, it, so that it can happen. Mm -hmm. And I don't feel like scared at the prospect of going. I feel yeah. very excited and hopeful. And you're not feeling like you have to force everything to make it happen. Yeah. It's just lining up. Yeah. Like people are offering to help and offering to step in and mm -hmm. you know, this is, because I, they're developing a, a sense of trust back in me. Mm -hmm. They believe in me. Yeah. Um, like you started to believe in you again. Yeah. Yeah. And so today it was just like, it, I'm emotional because I went back to daily reflections this morning mm. and it was chaotic in there. It was a birthday meeting, mm. but it was beautiful. It reminded me of the first day I walked in, just mm. the chaos and even the little kids who are now like growing up themselves. Mm. And, um, the woman who entered, so my grand sponsor, I guess, mm -hmm. and my sponsor who I never actually have been to a meeting with, um, who I just finished my steps with mm -hmm. was there and it just felt like magical and it felt like a good, like such a warm, like send off mm -hmm. for me. Right. A good memories of my people in Calgary and, and, you know, the evolution of my recovery here. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. It's, it's so awesome. Like I can't explain how powerfully connected to a higher power I feel mm. now. Um, and I, I guess I'll mention about that. So if we're talking, I don't know what, how much time you've got lots here. of time. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I'll, I guess I'll just go like back through the steps. So we've, we've seen where I've been and mm -hmm. that's even just like Cole's notes on it. I yeah. don't know. There's a lot of stuff in there, just a lot of chaos. Um, but it's easy for me to see now why I am mm -hmm. the way I am and why I became that way. Um, 
just through, you know, exposure to things and, and, you know, re-traumatizing myself mm -hmm. after trauma, you know, and that's kind of what it was in the end was just the, the abuse. Mm -hmm. And it was more so because I just didn't like myself at all. Yeah. Um, and I don't know that I actually ever really did develop that good loving mm -hmm. relationship with myself because it was kind of, you know, things started happening early mm -hmm. in my life where those things should begin, that spark should begin. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know that it was ever there, but yeah. Um, I think what finally brought me to that realization, I guess the that the pivotal point was when I was being arrested and mm -hmm. this was when I just got back to Alberta. Yeah. Um, and I just felt like my life was over then. And I, and mm -hmm. I was at that point in my drinking where, um, I struggled with the idea of my kids seeing me this mm -hmm. way. And I thought they might be better off without me. Mm -hmm. And I just know like, for myself, I was not better off without my dad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They need that. Mm -hmm. They need me. It's true. Um, so yeah, that was like the pivotal point. That was where I could finally see that I, you know, I was powerless mm -hmm. because of the things, the insane things that were happening weren't even stopping me. My kids looking me in the eye and begging me mm -hmm. to stop was not stopping me. Um, and my life was unmanageable. I had nothing left. I had no hope whatsoever. Um, and after this time, like, I, I stopped accepting financial payouts for, or, like, handouts from my parents. Mm -hmm. I cut myself off from them. Um, I went on, I went on Alberta works mm -hmm. and I did whatever I needed to do so that I didn't have to be dependent on anyone mm -hmm. else to, to get my self straightened out. Like it was on me. Yeah. Um, and then, like I said, I just got tired. I got tired of feeling crappy mm -hmm. and waking up feeling anxious and guilty and mm -hmm remorseful and terrible every single morning yeah and <clears throat> I got honest in my steps so you know I think that I along the way my connection with God it, it didn't happen like it happened mm. in the book like um you didn't have a white light no um I actually kind of had a resentment against God mm. I grew up in a Catholic family and I was forced to go to church and I just found it was, you know, a waste of my time growing mm -hmm. up more so. And I thought that what the events that happened in my life were punishment of some sort. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I was like pretty resistant against the idea of God. Mm -hmm. Um, and then just over time, I think it started happening. Like when I started going to meetings and seeing that spark in other people's eyes, yeah. uh, when I saw people's lives improving and mine not in staying my own way, mm -hmm. um, I just had to develop a trust. Uh, and I think that it didn't come in my first 
couple set of steps, you know, it wasn't yeah. like that for me, but I definitely have it now. Mm-hmm. Um, so like on step two, that one, I guess, um, I had to believe that I was alive still for mm-hmm. a reason. Cause there was not really much, like, I don't know how I, I managed to stay alive. Like on one of my drinking sprees, I went into the hospital and my blood alcohol was higher than Amy Winehouse's when she died. Oh, really? So like, I, I God, was, we just push the envelope, don't we? Oh yeah. yeah. So I don't, <clears throat> I don't know how I was alive, but I had to believe that I was alive for a reason. Mm. And, um, a lot of people, or I've heard this saying being said, um, a God brought me to AA and then AA brought me to God. Mm. And that's mm-hmm. kind of how it worked for me mm-hmm. too, because I, yeah, like Derek's mom was Catholic and, I remember being like really resistant against the idea of baptizing Mm -hmm. my kids and really furious with her that she would even suggest it. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I know a lot of people get caught up on, caught up on the idea of God. Mm -hmm. Um, But I had to just make my own concept of Mm -hmm. what that is for me. And for my God, I think is a lot of my dad, Mm -hmm. you know, that parent figure. Yeah. Um, authority but not one that i want to be defiant against mm-hmm. or that you're scared of necessarily <laughs> or that i'm scared of that's yeah. just their loving support mm-hmm. right um and a lot of my higher power has to do with my inner child my mm-hmm. inner self um and i embrace that a lot you know i do a lot of meditations where mm-hmm. i focus on the the older version of me going and taking hands with the younger mm-hmm. version of me and you know bringing them together um and yeah so prayer and meditation are instrumental for me mm-hmm. i i use those tools every single day and i have this connection now with my higher power yeah. um so three that that's definitely i'm i've turned my will and my life over to the care of god um and then four, like I said, I've just done my inventory here with you. I'm, I'm not sure if I've, I've told you everything, you know, mm. but I've told you a good chunk of the things that I hung on to for a long time mm. that kept me sick inside. And I can't, I have to be vulnerable with them because I know that there's a lot of people struggling out mm. there. And a lot of people have told me that, you know, they seek inspiration from, my growth Mm -hmm. and I'm even I'm inspired by my own growth Mm -hmm. now like I can I feel different I feel like a different person and and that's what they call a spiritual Mm -hmm. awakening right that's right um and this time around six and seven were I did a I did a deep dive into those mm-hmm. two because I feel like those were drive-by steps for me before where I They're just... tricky ones, yeah. Yeah, I never got a full understanding of them up until recently. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I just would go home and meditate after I did my five and, mm-hmm. and say, okay, yeah, I'm ready, you can have it all. But not really realizing that I actually have to do the work, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I have to implement those changes mm-hmm. that I foresee for myself. And I have to get a little uncomfortable in doing so. Yeah. And in doing and getting uncomfortable, that's what's, that's what brings me humility. Mm. And that's what brings me to a level that I can make meaningful amends and mm. like actually think of the people I've hurt while drinking. Yeah. Um, and see, like I, I had some crazy things happen recently. Like 
when I was five months sober, um, one of my best friends who I kind of grew up with in mm. the rave scene in Calgary, um, who's also struggling, struggling to stay sober, mm. um, was relapsing. And I took it, I kind of like took it upon myself to think that I could help. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wound up like totally putting my, my own sobriety and my own everything at risk. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that almost took me out too. And mm-hmm. that was scary. And that was a very humbling experience mm-hmm. that just showed me that, you know, this thing is a lot more fragile. And when my emotions get involved, like things can change very quickly. Yeah. Um, so I've had some, some people come back into my life. Like I entered kind of a toxic relationship when I first moved here to Calgary, mm-hmm. um, where it was just a physical relationship is what mm-hmm. it was. Um, but I thought that, you know, that would bring me some sense of worth. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't. And he didn't know at the time that I was an alcoholic and I met him in a bar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, but he, when he found out, it was like a pretty crazy experience. Like he had to call the ambulance and send me to the hospital and mm-hmm. stuff. And he found out that way, but then was just continuing to like use me in that mm-hmm. way for what he wanted in his life. And mm-hmm. oh, yeah, just all of these things. This is These are the things that have brought me to a level of mm-hmm. humility about, I don't know everything and yeah. I need help with things and I need to talk like I think that's one of my main things mm-hmm. is that I I hold on to yeah. too much by myself I'm too self-reliant mm-hmm. um <clears throat> so I've only learned through through these experiences yeah um enough to know that I don't know everything and that God has a much better plan for me than I can ever dream up myself. Um, so if I just listen and, you know, wait for that intuitive feeling, Mm -hmm. um, and wait is a really strong word here because I'm very impulsive. Mm. Um, so yeah, you come by that honestly, if you're you're anything like, uh, like me, you come by that honestly. Yeah. So just like pausing, you know, Mm -hmm. and, not reacting right away and yeah. just waiting and f- seeing how things go, like letting feelings pass. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I've, I've had a lot of, a lot of, um, experiences through doing that extra, extra work on six and seven. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It's, it's extra to AA, but it's dropped rock. Yep. And it's then, a good book. yeah, it's a good book. Um, and then I did also, the ripple effect for step mm-hmm. 10 as well. Um, and I've been doing a lot of amends lately. Okay. Um, I had started to try to do them in previous sets of steps, mm-hmm. but I don't think that I had the right intentions in doing mm-hmm. so. And I definitely was not in a state where I could trust myself at that mm-hmm. point or that I really felt comfortable mm-hmm. not drinking. Well, amends are tricky, right? Or causing chaos. Very tricky, yeah. Yeah. And so I had tried to make a few, and I I jumped the gun on that. Mm-hmm. You know, like I have to redo a lot of the ones that I had done before. So um, I'm doing the ones now. Like when I looked at my list this time, 
none of them scared me. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like I could never picture doing that. Yeah. Because I could picture doing it, giving each one an amends, mm-hmm. but I want it to be meaningful. And the most meaningful ones are going to be the ones for my kids. Mm-hmm. And those are living amends. So just seeing me be a different mom, mm-hmm. seeing me be emotionally available for them, um, you know, and that's what we have now yeah. when I see them is, um, we have adventures together. Mm-hmm. I try to live in my child self and, mm-hmm. and enjoy life through their eyes because I think I was robbed of that mm-hmm. a little bit when I was a kid, you know, um, I'm just, I'm trying to give them everything maybe that I feel like I lacked mm-hmm. as a child. And it's not like I, I don't blame my parents because, like I said, they bring their own set of trauma mm-hmm. into things. And I'm doing, you know, I brought, I'm reading this book here that talks a lot about this, right? Mm-hmm. This lady's a holistic psychologist and she kind of you can, brings... You can name it if you want. Oh, it's um, How to Do the Work. It's Nicole LaPera. Okay. And uh, she's the holistic psychologist. She's kind of like a... She's an identity on social media. Mm. And um, I don't think she's an alcoholic or an addict or anything, but she she speaks a lot about her conditioned trauma mm. growing up yeah. and and how how we can recognize our own patterns and self-heal. Mm. Um, and I'm a proponent of that too, you know, like I, I love 12 step, but I incorporate a little bit of mm-hmm. other, things into my recovery because I find that they're really helpful and useful. Like I do yoga. Mm-hmm. Um, I try to practice like clean eating and, mm-hmm. you know, um, there's, there's things obviously that I want to work on. I, yeah. More will be revealed. I don't feel like alcohol is really a big threat to me anymore. Mm-hmm. It's more so my mind mm-hmm. it's the thoughts that turn quickly into emotions yeah. which turn into irrational behaviors yeah. which make me do things that i want to drink for mm-hmm. you know and, or like the resentments or the yeah. fears or yeah so i guess like just the self-awareness i've gained through you know doing 12 step and doing mm-hmm. all this extra work um it's, I'm aware of all of these things and I want to change all of these things. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I want them all to happen at once. Yeah, of course. (laughs) And overnight. (laughs) Um, but that's not what it is. It's the daily work Mm -hmm. and it doesn't seem like there's any progress happening when you look at it day by day, Mm -hmm. but I know there is. And And, over time you'll be able to see it. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I can see it in my own journey. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, So it's just about staying in the moment for me and, you know, staying in an attitude of gratitude, especially Mm -hmm. right now, like things are insane out there. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of fear mongering going on with the media. I Mm -hmm. work for the media, so that's an interesting thing. I largely ignore it because (laughs) I just, I can't handle it. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I, I'm not because of the tools that I have now, um, for recovery, I'm not really too wrapped up in it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not, it's just something that's happening out there Mm -hmm. to me. Um, and also with people's behaviors too, I'm learning to detach from Mm -hmm. 
you know, how other people are acting and, and make, and able to see that they're not acting in a certain way to affect me. That's just who they, what they're mm -hmm. doing. And it's just their expression of their own fear and stuff, right? Yeah. yeah. And I don't need to, to get, um, like attached to an idea that it should be a certain way. Mm. Things should be a certain way. I don't yeah. need to have that control. And like my perfectionism, I'm learning mm -hmm. that I don't need to, I can make mistakes and be okay. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, there's just so much to learn mm -hmm. and I feel like it's just a continual process and it, it's yeah. continually evolving. And like we said, more will be revealed. And every day I feel like I mm -hmm. get awakenings now. Yeah. Um, well, when you're paying attention, you can see them more often. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. I used to think things were just kind of coincidence and you know, it's just, mm -hmm. oh, it's just a weird coincidence that this person's here at this time. But no, those things are all, mm -hmm. everything is happening, <laughs> happening in alignment, right? It's synchronicity or yeah. whatever. They we just say. don't always have the answer as to why. Yeah. Yeah. And now I can truly feel that. And you know, when things don't go my way, it's for a reason mm -hmm. also. Um, and when, when there's somewhere within my body that's in pain, it's just where I need to bring an element of truth to, mm. um, and my own truth. Yeah. And so when I'm feeling sad or when I'm, when I have emotions come up, I meditate on them immediately. Mm -hmm. Like I lay down and I invite that in and I look at it objectively and mm. say, why are you here? And what do I need to do? Yeah. Um, and now I'm getting those feelings like it felt right to apply for the job in BC mm. because that's not fear driven. Like mm. that's not like, oh, I have to get out of here because someone's chasing me or, you know, like I've got ghosts yeah, here. Things are good. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's just going to be so amazing because, um, like I said, they're only an hour and a half away now, my kids. Yeah. And they're, That'll be cool. they're so excited and they need me. Mm -hmm. Like there's, there's so many days now. These, these are little girls, right? And they're mm -hmm. growing up with their dad and bless him. Like I'm, I'm super grateful to have mm -hmm. him because he stepped up yeah. when he needed to. Um, he's a good dad, I bet. Yeah, he really is. Yeah. And I couldn't have asked, I couldn't have asked for a better dad for mm -hmm. them, but you know, they do need their mom. And especially mm -hmm. my older daughter, like I can, I see her kind of becoming a little mom mm. <laughs> of her little sister. And I'm just like, oh no, like what have I done? <laughs> but I think that them seeing me healing is really good for them mm -hmm. too. Like for them to see, because Isla, my older daughter, she's seen where I've come from, right? Mm -hmm. Like she remembers seeing me not being able to wake up, mm -hmm. you know, when she's trying to wake me up or not being able to start my car or being pulled over by the police or mm. whatever. Like she's, she's got some things and I'll need to do some work with her. Mm -hmm. Um, and my younger daughter actually has things too. Like she's got, um, I don't know what it is exactly, but I, she's got an issue with wearing certain clothes. Like mm. she'll only wear certain clothes mm -hmm. and it's cause it feels wrong on her. Mm. And so my own healing is helping me to understand what's going on with them too. Yeah. Um, and it's just, it's like, it's making me be able to nurture the needs that I know that, that they're trying to express and mm -hmm. just don't know how to yet. Yeah. 
Um, and it's, you know, it's healing the relationship with my mom as well. Mm. Um, I like when I cut myself from off from them financially, I've been trying my best to do what I can for myself, mm -hmm. but you know, now like when I need help moving, for example, they're stepping, stepping up and mm -hmm. helping out and, and, you know, like helping me where I need it because they, not because they're enabling me, but because they trust that what I'm trying to do for myself is mm -hmm. the best thing. Yeah. And, um, they see growth mm -hmm. and change in my personality and my responses to things. Like yeah. I don't fly off the handle at them so much anymore. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> but yeah, like it's, it's taken a lot of hard work to, mm -hmm. to get to where I am. <laughs> and, um, you know, I had this therapist who, because I, I have a struggle with like dependent personality disorder mm -hmm. or whatever and codependency. Um, he says, well, he, he graduated me mm -hmm. recently because he said, no, you've, you've come far enough that you know how to deal, you know, how to cope mm -hmm. with things when they come up, you know, you're not turning back to what you used to yeah. do. Um, and because, I have a problem with dependency, then he, he doesn't want me to become dependent on him for validation. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's up to me now to say, you've done a good job, Chelsea. Yeah. Like it's, it's going to be okay. Things are good mm -hmm. and you're working hard and you deserve this. Mm -hmm. And for me to say that that's hard. <laughs> like that's it's, big, eh? it's taken a long time for me to be able to say those things. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, that's just like another, another growth for me, you know, um, mm. and eventually I'll get to that place where I feel like I love and trust myself completely. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, you know, like I'm, I'm not even entertaining the thought of relationships or anything mm. anymore, which, which is odd for me too. Yeah. Like, How does that feel? It's good. I yeah. feel really good. Right on. Um, I'm not lonely. Mm hmm and and I could I could have been sitting in a room full of people before and felt lonely. Yeah. You know, it's crazy how that just shifted. Um, That's awesome. But yeah, it has a lot. It has so much to do with my patterns in drinking that I mm -hmm. had to stop that one too yeah. because they were so closely tied. Yeah. Um, yeah. So things are things are amazing these days, and I I've got like a really bright future ahead. I know that, mm. and and. <clears throat> I somehow managed to get this incredible job that mm. is paying me what I'm making here, plus pension, plus mm -hmm. benefits, plus they're going to put me back to school if I want to get mm -hmm. my designation in accounting. Right on. So, yeah, I don't know. God is good, right? Yeah. Um, and has provided the things, has, has given me what I couldn't do for myself. Mm -hmm. um, but you had to bring the shovel. I did. Yeah, yeah. I, I did the work. You got to bring the shovel. I did the work and it's, it's truly paid off. Like I, mm. I'm just grateful. And, you know, I once had a lot of people look at it and say, man, how could you be grateful? Cause I had this house and I had mm. this car and I had my family with me and I, but I wasn't even present. I mm. was not even there. Yeah. So, you know, and 
a lot of when I first was going into recovery was like, I just want my life back. I just want my Mm -hmm. life back. But now I don't want that back. I want something better. Like there's a better plan for me. There is so much better out there than what we were like. Oh yeah. So it's just, I'm blown away by Mm -hmm. the shift in, in my thinking Mm -hmm. and how it's changed my life. Um, and I'm like so grateful that I get to go back and be with my girls mm-hmm. and I can see so much ahead, but I, I'm in today, you mm-hmm. know, it's where I have to stay. Right on. Yeah.